Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome, everyone, to the SI Media Podcast. I'm your host, Jimmy Trana. Thanks for listening this week. We have a good show for you. Doris Burke from ESPN talking about the NBA playoffs, uh, dealing with COVID. She had it last year. Uh, what's going on here with the terrible fan behavior at NBA games, uh, broadcasting, and all sorts of things with Doris. And then following Doris Burke, Emma Longoria from the San Francisco Giants was kind enough to come on and talk about the whole unwritten rules thing in baseball and what's you know how players feel about it, what are good unwritten rules, what are bad unwritten rules. So that was a hot topic. So I wanted to talk to a player about it. So I uh, was able to get Evan. So Doris Burke, Evan Longoria on this episode. And let me just tell you, uh, if you missed any recent episodes last week, Peter Schrager from Good Morning Football and Daniel Rappaport from Golf Digest were on the pod two weeks ago. Andrew Marshan from the New York Post, Bill Carter from CNN on a great late night documentary on CNN. Uh, Rich Eisen and Alan Seppenwall were on the pod three weeks ago. Ryan Rosillo, Brian Baumgartner four weeks ago. We've had a great run of guests. If you missed any, dip into the archive, check them out, and please subscribe to the SI Media Podcast. If you want to throw me a review, it's always appreciated as well. All right, here we go. This week's show, Doris Burke, followed by Evan Longoria. All right, joining me now, first time I'm speaking to her on the SI Media Podcast from ESPN. She's everywhere during the playoffs. Doris Burke. Doris, how's it going? Going great. Going great. The playoffs are in full swing. This is a great time of year, Jimmy, right? You know, two games at a minimum on per night, sometimes three. Uh, so just it's the best. It is the absolute best. It is good. It's a little rough if you're on the East Coast because sometimes the schedule is not friendly. But, you know, especially if you want to watch LeBron and they're always playing at like 10 or 1030. That, that's a problem. But here in New York, it's, you know, I'm in New York and... With the uh, with the Knicks back in, even though it's gone, you know, completely off the rails the last couple of games, it's still uh, it's much, much, much more different this year than in the past twenty years. So that's good. 
Oh my gosh, are you kidding me? Like it, it, what struck me about uh, the, the two games thus far at Madison Square Garden has been, uh, to me, it's the loudest building we've seen. At least it pops off the screen to me. And it's funny, Mike Green, Jimmy and I, we have this conversation all the time. Um, you know, the Knicks could be out of it. It could be a Saturday night and they're at the end of the season. But if it's a possession ball game, uh, that place is electric. So I'm happy for the fans. But the reality is, you know, uh, as this team overachieved, Tibbs maximized the roster. Um, you know, there's still some flaws that have been exposed. So it's interesting because, you know, it's not a pleasant way to start, but it, it is a big theme right now. And it ties into all this with. Um, you know, we saw there, especially game two at the garden, it was rocking and, you know, it's one of those deals where it's interesting because the games on the local MSG station here with Breen and Clyde Frazier and then TNT had game two and, you know, the theme on the MSG broadcast was just the crowd and it was 15,000 back, but now we're, ha we're having this trend here where people don't know how to behave it. Oh, it's not just games. People don't know how to behave anywhere. It seems anymore. And now we're seeing it here at sporting events. Um, I think, uh, you know, I don't want to be Debbie Downer and sound so negative, but I think it's only going to get worse. I think there's going to have to be some things done about it because I think this all ties into COVID, people being in their houses for a year, segment of the population who has this thing about their rights are being infringed upon. And like now everyone's being like, sort of let out. And um, I, I think the NFL is going to have it rough when that comes back in September. Uh, you're there. You're well, have you been there yet? Have you been in an yeah. arena yet? Okay. Oh, oh yeah. We, What's your sense of it all? I've been fortunate for most of my games in the playoffs to have been in the arena. And I'm going to tell you an interesting thing that happened to me. And this may be 10 years ago, um, but I remember uh, speaking with David Stern. And I don't remember if this was on air or off, but at one point, he did express concern to me about the proximity of fans to the athletes um, of the NBA. And, you know, that was a while ago. And as I, it's the first thing I've thought of as these incidents have unfolded. And, uh, you know, I hope you're right that this is, you know, sort of pent up frustration or whatever the case may be. But it's frankly unacceptable. I don't know what the answer is. Um, but, it's embarrassing as citizens of this country, as sports fans, what are we doing to one another? These athletes are at their profession. They are, you know, expending incredible amounts of energy at the most important time in their professional lives, the postseason when legacies are made. I'm just, I'm disgusted, Jimmy. I'm, I'm sad. I'm embarrassed. What are we doing as a country that we would get so worked up about this particular situation right. that we're behaving in this fashion. It's, I don't know what the answer is, Jimmy, because the proximity is what scares me. Yeah, uh, for so. sure. But there, there, there seems to be a level of, um, it's not even, it's, it's, it seems like we're at this thing where it's, I can do what I want when I want. No one's going to tell me what to do. And I don't know if that's an extension of the fact that we were told like, you know, not to leave our houses for several months and, you know, some people are being, you know, if you don't have the vaccine, you can't go here or, you know, the Knicks round two only selling. I don't know if it, that all plays into it, but if you, you know, if you saw all the videos of the past year, you know, the quote unquote Karen videos and people getting mad if they're being asked to wear a mask and now they're being let back into public places with people. And I just think 
I don't, I wish I could see this as just being, okay, we had a bad week here in the NBA. I think this just keeps going. And that, that's what I, and I think, like you said, I don't know what the answer is, but the commissioners or someone's going to have to figure something out because it's not going to get better, I don't think. But hopefully, well, let wrong. me ask you this because I, um, yesterday was uh, sort of a busy day. Uh, so I didn't have time to follow up, but uh, someone mentioned to me that the charge against the uh, gentleman in Boston who threw the water bottle was quite significant. Um, assault uh, and with a heavy penalty relative to what what he was charged with. And honestly, you know, there's only two deterrents sometimes. One is pocketbooks, right? Affect people's money. Um, that's one way. But then obviously legal legal troubles could be a second way. And maybe it's just about giving the harshest penalty possible. And And you can say it's relative. Well, the popcorn, whatever. Don't behave that way. Simple answer. Right, right. Right. That's that's, you know, people saying the popcorn's not a big deal or, you know, Kyrie had it coming. I mean, it just again, this is not the way you're supposed to behave. It's not people adding way too much into it. It's a very black and white thing. I think you behave a certain way and that's it. There's no gray here. Right. That's just me. Um, I, I do want to talk basketball stuff. But since we've um, sort of I've mentioned this all, I think, stems from covid. You were one of the first, I think, like sports media people who came out publicly. You had it a year ago, end of March. Um, and, it, you know, Kirk Herbstreit, who is a colleague of yours at ESPN, he just said yesterday, he went on Twitter and said, he's still five months after having it, can't taste or smell anything. Yeah. And I think one thing, you know, that has, we, if, if you're paying attention, if you know anything, it's everyone's experience with COVID seems to be different. Um, how, what was yours like? Any lingering effects? And is, you know, you come up on a year of it. Any thoughts about, you know, how scary yeah. it was? Well, it's interesting. Uh, you know, I had listened to the comments of Jason Tatum a while back, and then there was, you know, we revisited it recently. And I had communicated to Brad Stevens that, uh, you know, I'm a 55-year-old woman, right? And nine months down, so I was in the bubble, Jimmy, and still experiencing symptoms to the point where, uh, you know, we were in that hotel for 87 days. It was a long time. ESPN was great to us. They would send a runner out and, and get some things from the grocery store. And keep in mind now, I had been back to normal, you know, exercising, you know, doing all the normal things that a person does after COVID. But it's, I had met the runner uh, and I had to climb two sets of stairs to get there. And he said, why are you breathing so heavy? And I texted my physician, who's been a longtime personal friend. He's actually been my physician since I was a student athlete at Providence. And I said, Al, I just want to remind you that when this bubble is over, I want a full workup. I want to know what's going on with my heart and my lungs. And he asked, did I have healthcare opportunities in Florida? And the NBA, as you know, was exceptional. And so I had a workup. And basically, the physicians who attended me say, your lungs are still healing. And that was nine months down the road. So my communication to Brad Stevens about his players who were talking about what's going on with them was, I can't imagine the terror of NBA players who have their life in front of them. You know, Jason Tatum as a young son, uh, he's at the peak of his career and, and building. And so I can't imagine the terror of experiencing those lingering symptoms, the terror of the unknown, Jimmy. Thankfully, I can say that I think I am completely through it now, but it was a good nine months. Nine months. Wow. Yeah. So it must really frustrate you when people are like, you know, it's just like the flu. It's not going to kill you. It's not a big deal. If I, I got to live my life, if I get it, I get it, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. yeah. I have a very good friend who uh, 
was a, a baseball executive. And uh, he texted me on July 4th and he was starting a new venture. He's been in minor league baseball 35 years in the Hall of Fame for the minor leagues. Uh, owned the Pawtucket Red Sox, was part owner for, for years, and then was starting a second career in Wichita. Texted me on July 4th what, I sh- what he could expect from COVID and uh, passed away three weeks oh later. Oh, my God. Quickly. And he was on the, you know, he's north of 60, Jimmy, but is set to start a brand new career and excited and this and that. And I, so for people to say it's the flu or there's yeah. nothing to be afraid about, it's, that's naive. If, if you have an experience, that's naive. No. Now, we, we mentioned earlier the Knicks, 15,000 were in the building last week. Obviously, more and more stadiums, arenas, teams opening up. Any fear, any trepidation about being around all those people? And, or do you just, you know, you go in, you do your job, and, and that's it? No, I mean, you know, uh, prior to vaccination, there were, you know, episodically, we would travel over the course of the winter. But I have to say, you know, ESPN um, and the NBA, did such a great job of sort of, you know, placing us high enough up plexiglass between us. You know, you do that. You have to live and you have to continue to do your job in a variety of circumstances. And it's not as though we're frontline workers, right? We are so well protected. Uh, so prior to being fully vaxxed, slight anxiety, but now, uh, no. And now I'm finding myself, I went to the grocery store this morning and I forgot a mask. And I saw on the sign of Whole Foods, it said something like, you know, if you double vax, you don't need it. And what was interesting to me is so many people inside were still wearing masks. I almost felt guilty. I was running in for two things. I didn't run back out, um, but I can feel it. I can feel it change, sort of moving. I, I Part of me wishes you didn't bring this up because I am obsessed with the whole mask, no mask situation that we're in right now because we're in this weird, <laughs> with every store has a different rule and my, I'm driving my friends crazy because I text them at every store I go in with what the policy is <laughs> and where it's crazy because I, I texted a buddy of mine who lives out in Denver yesterday and I was at a bunch of stores uh, yesterday. I would say here on Long Island, where I am, Nassau County, 99% of the people are still wearing masks in stores. And my friend wrote back, who's in Denver, and he said, 99% of the people where he is are not. It's wow. amazing how every area is so different on all this. Um, you know, and I, I feel bad for the people who work in the stores because someone at one store said, you know, the policy is like, you know, if you're vaccinated, you don't need a mask, but they're not allowed to ask if you're vaccinated. So that means the people, you know, so I, I just feel bad for people who work there and have to deal with people who, you know, don't want to sort of follow the rules and then want to cause a scene. But, you know, we are getting at least out of this mess finally a year and a half later. So that's the, the upside. But yeah, the mask thing fascinates me. So you, how'd you feel in the store without it? Did you feel like? Uh, well, because I, I was literally grabbing coffee and half and half. So it was so fast yeah. and early enough in the morning that I was like, okay, there's nobody here. But I'll tell you, it's interesting you bring up the people who work there because that was the person I, I you know, felt for. And I just said, I'm fully vaxxed. It was as though. Right. And something similar happened in an Uber. I was getting an Uber to the airport. And to be honest with you, Jimmy, when I got on the phone, I was going to the airport. I, I got on the phone and I totally forgot to put the mask. And when you order the Uber, it, it says you have to check the box. I will wear a mask. Right. I ended up profusely apologizing to the driver and trying to assure him I was fully vaxxed and he was, you know, quite good about it. But it it is such a fascinating thing in our society right now. And and to your point about different parts of the country, mm. earlier I, I had a game, I think it was in Houston, and there was a um, 
a convention for, I believe it was Knights of Columbus and a con- uh, some sort of a high school girls volleyball tournament. The place was absolutely packed. And this is a couple months ago. I don't remember the exact date of that game, but packed. And you could see masks, no masks. And I was, I was, it was fascinating. Yeah. So it's true. It's, it's where you are, how people feel, what's the philosophy of the state. Yeah, it's yeah. interesting. When, when did you get back on the road and, and in arenas? No, so, so literally from, from the opening tip for us, which is Christmas Day, we were in arena. Oh, right. Yeah, so I, I wonder, I, I should have looked to see the percentage of games. You know, a lot of games certainly here from my home, mm. um, but there was a good percentage of games that were in arena. Yeah. And I believe I, I will miss this weekend's games, but I think, um, I think, and I'm not a hundred percent sure this Friday night may be the last day that ESPN, if we have them in homes, I haven't even looked at the schedule because I won't be there, but, but I believe Jimmy, this is the last opportunity for us to call games at home this weekend because we moved to exclusive and there's some technical aspects, camera availability, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. That makes that I- go I should know that I always, I get so confused between what ESPN is doing and TNT because they both share their games. But I think it was ESPN yeah. is you know starting second round everything from is. the arenas. Yeah, and I know TNT had a lot of people. They were still doing everything from home because they got a lot of criticism for that Nick game where Brian Anderson and I think it was Jim Jackson were at, were home and the, they weren't picking up the crowd noise. But I know for tonight's game, we're taping this on Wednesday. Marv will be in the building. Which is going to be, you know, to see Marv call, hear Marv call a Nick game at Madison Square Garden after all these years is going to be tremendous. How great, seriously, yeah. how yeah. great is that? I, I'm looking forward to that. Jimmy, I cannot wait to see, you know, what they do, what's the crowd reaction. You know, you think about, um, you know, how good Marv has been over the years. And I always say this, you know, the brilliance of television to me are the cameramen who capture all these moments, right? Because they know the game, they know the storylines. And so their, their cuts are perfect. The director who's cutting the show and then who's attached to your, to your memories as a sportsman, it's the play-by-play. It's Mike Green, you know, bang. It's Marv. Yes. And the foul, you know, (laughs) like I don't do it justice, but, but, I just cannot wait to see how they react because listen, anybody who's done it at the level he's done it for as long as he's done it. I mean, what's, what could be more satisfying to, to the longevity, the excellence, all of it. Yeah. It's funny how things work out. He finally gets that game. You know, he's retiring after this year. So he's going to get that last crack at Matt, unless the Knicks come back in this series. But um Right. Well, I wanted to ask just to follow up on something we talked about earlier, because anyone who comes on this podcast who, who does play by play or color, I always ask what that experience was like doing the games from home. You know, it's funny. Some analysts and play by play people say not a big deal, was able to do it, no problem. And other people are just like, oh, my God, it was so rough. So what was your experience? Yeah, I, I found it really challenging, to be perfectly honest with you, uh, on many levels. The first uh, would be and it's, it, you might think it's a small thing. But I, I could see the fans reacting to this on social media, the audio mix. And it was a process, yeah. I think, for ESPN. Now, they did, I think, as, as good a job as they could do uh, giving us the best possible um, angles and vision uh, and setup and all of those things. 
Um, but the audio was extremely difficult. I found myself every single game getting off the air with a headache. And it might be because I would hit a talk back button, which goes directly and only to the producer. And he couldn't hear me. And communication for me in the course of a telecast is really important. I'm talking all the time. Could you show me that last play in ISO? Could I see that replay again from a different angle? Uh, and depending on who the producer is, and you work with several different ones, you know, the, the interaction is either more or less. So that's one. Number two, you know, I've not played or coached in the NBA. And so I do my job probably distinctly differently from, you know, Mark and Jeff and Richard and all the guys who have been up in Hubie. Um, and one of the things I was unaware of until doing the game from here is how many cues I take from in arena. My ability to, to see all the body language, to see the ends of each bench at every moment, it's the ability for me to direct where my eyes are going in the course of a game, as opposed to what cameras are available to us on this particular night. And, um, and, and please, I hope this doesn't come off as complaining because I know it's you know, listen, anyone who has their job thrown into upheaval is allowed to complain. Yeah. And I don't, I don't even like the word complain. I mean, you're just, you're just sharing what your experience was. Yeah, so complaint. For me, it was, it was, a, it was, a, 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 I found it a, a challenging experience. Now, the one thing I did learn, and I never really paid attention to this because you just get rolling and, you know, the calendar calendars moving and you're not paying attention. I, you know, I've been on the roads pretty much since 1997. So how much time, Jimmy, I spend traveling, the, the preparation packing to get ready, you know, the cab to the airport, the hour or 90 minutes you're waiting for your plane, et cetera. And I just thought, oh my God, I have spent a good portion of my life hmm. on the road, traveling in hotel rooms. And, uh, and it really was striking to realize the amount of time you spend doing that. Yeah. yeah. That's especially NBA, 82 games in a regular season. Right. Um, you, we talked about Marv a little bit ago. I'm just curious, when you growing up, what, what what broadcasters did you enjoy listening to? Who were your favorites? Yeah, so uh, I loved Bill Raftery. Um, I just, I loved him. My first exposure to college basketball announcers um, uh, was Al and Dick Enberg and Billy Packer. And all of Al's catchphrases and, uh, you know, the way he would just describe things, I found so appealing. Billy was more straight X and O. Al was the flavor. Dick was just brilliant. So I would tell you that that was the first announced team that I really paid attention to. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, obviously, you know, listening to Marv over the course of years. I'm, I'm a New York, New Jersey kid, born in Long Island, raised on the Jersey shore from the time I was seven. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's funny. And I, I always say this, as I said earlier, I, I said, it's those voices that ring in your head, right? Uh, my, I have a yeah. close friend in high school. She's uh, uh, still on the Jersey shore, still a teacher, a high school teammate of mine. She swears that at one point, as kids, because Dick Vitale would have just started the broadcasting piece, she swears I at one point said, you know, I'm going to work with him someday. I don't recollect it, but it's funny. I ended up, you know, on his team for a good yeah. years as a sideline reporter for college basketball. I, You know, I was surprised. I don't know why, but when just in doing a little bit of research for the interview, I was surprised to see that you've 
been at ESPN since 1991? Yeah, so that's a first, well, that was only the first game I called was 1991. It was a Division Three national championship or maybe Division Two. I really, I think it was Division Two, North Dakota State, I believe. Um, so yeah, star, my association with ESPN started in 1991, very small, one or two games a year and sort of just subsequently grew. And, uh, I remember the first contract they offered me the gosh, this is years ago would have been 1999. And at that point I'm working for the big East regional network, not, not men at that point. I don't believe, oh yeah, I was doing a little bit of men. I was doing some men's college basketball. But I worked for everybody. I worked for the Atlantic 10 Network, New England Sports Network, Big East Network, uh, and then started to pick up more and more ESPN games. Was the Liberty announcer, I believe, for three years. First year was only on radio. Uh, Next couple, maybe two or three, uh, as the analyst for the New York Liberty. Uh, But yeah, 1991 was the first time I called a game on on ESPN. Amazing longevity. It went really fast. I'm sure. I'm sure. And you know, you've been part of the finals team now for several years. And, you know, I remember last year, I didn't look this up. I'm just thinking of it off the top. I remember last year when the NBA finals started writing something about how, you know, the Breen Jackson Van Gundy team. Yeah. I think might be, might've called now more NBA finals than any other team, but it's, it's, it's amazing how long they've done it. You've been a part of it for a while. Um, is the ultimate goal for you, though, to be at the table as the analyst doing the NBA finals? Is that yeah. the ultimate goal? Well, first of all, like I started in this business and it's almost laughable to me if you could have seen me as a college student, painfully shy. Uh, the idea that I'd be an announcer is almost just it's, it's absurd to me. So I've never had a goal in my life. And I said this a couple of years ago because, um, you know, uh, Rachel took over for me and I moved to the radio last year during the NBA finals. It was an absolute privilege um, to be with what I believed to be um, the best announced team in sports. Like think of the moments Mark, Jeff and Mike have, have been fortunate enough mm. to call, um, you know, the Steph years, the LeBron years. It's really it is it was it was an absolute privilege to be a part of that team. No. And I said this a couple of years ago, if I if I remain exactly where I am for the rest of my career, how lucky will I have been? Sincerely, I call NBA basketball. I picked up a ball at seven years of age at Indian Hill Park in Manuscon, New Jersey, and I have never put it down. I've been playing it, coaching it or watching it since I was seven. Do you feel any pressure is not the right word. I'm trying to think what the right word is, but. You know, if 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 you ever did get to that day where you were an analyst on a on an NBA Finals, you'd be the first woman to do it. Well, um, I've done it on radio for television. So. I'm talking about for television. I'm talking about for television. <laughs> okay. um, Pressure is not the right word, but do you feel like that that's something that if you know you would like to do in order to sort of break that glass ceiling that, like they say, or you know, would that do you think that could then open the path to, you know, this is not something that's unusual now and any woman could do this job or it is not, not part of your sort of mindset on that? De- definitely not part of my mindset. And, uh, and I've said this often, Jimmy, and I mean this sincerely. If people will say, is there pressure? I, I have a slight level of anxiety um, because I don't want to screw up, right? Because if I screw up, do I hurt the woman behind me? So I would say there's a little bit of anxiety there. But I've never like 
been perfect. It's not as though I'm a mistake-free broadcaster. I don't think anybody is. Nobody is, yeah. And so, um, but no, I, I've never, you know, said I want X position, Y position. I'm a, I've said this also many times, and forgive people for who've heard me talk about this, like I'm a believer in divine providence. Like, life has a way of getting you where you're supposed to be. Uh, I think there's a proverb that says something like, uh, you know, you have nothing uh, that's not directed from above, um, you know. So seriously, I I feel so fortunate to be calling NBA games. I mean, think about it. Like a kid from the Jersey Shore with a ball in her hands after watching college basketball, running out between the the hedges of my parents' home and then going to that court and sort of reliving what I had just watched on TV. And I'm calling NBA basketball. It's really, it's really, I feel incredibly lucky. Yeah. I just wanted to, you know, I, I, I feel like so many women in this industry cite you as a role model. So that's why I thought maybe, you know, getting to the ultimate peak of, you know, television analysts for an NBA final would be. You know, those you know. women, like I, I almost am uncomfortable. Like I appreciate and have always appreciated what these young women say to me. Number one, like, you know, they are professional and competent. And what I love about this next generation of women is, you know, they feel like they belong now. They know they belong now. And I just love that. I love their presence. I have, you know, talked about this, like Candace Parker sits up on the set of, of TNT and just fits, right? Yeah. Like she's perfect. And, uh, and that just... It gives me joy for the future of women. You know, it's it has been like a societal change. And I don't mean just obviously in sports broadcasting. Look across our society. It can feel as though things move at a glacial pace. Um, and so, yeah, I don't want to take credit for something I didn't set out to do. You know, I didn't enter this because I wanted to be the first X or Y. I didn't. I got right. into business because I love the game. That's why. Right. Well, if it ever happened, it'd be a big deal. So be prepared for it. The anxiety <laughs> will definitely get going there if, if, if you know, if it ever happens. I'm begging, um, I'm beg I'm begging Mark, Jeff, and Mike never to yeah. leave. <laughs> I mean, they got it. They got it rolling now. But you know, every, this business is crazy. Changes yeah. come about. You don't even yeah. expect. You don't even see. Um, you know, I was gonna. I want to ask you a couple of questions about the playoffs and the Nets. But since you just mentioned, you know, I've had Van Gundy on this podcast. I love Van Gundy because you know. Not a ton of filter there, and I love yeah. you know when he fights with the refs. Or, yeah. uh, do you have a Van, any Van Gundy story you could share, or anything where you know he said something that we're, even you were t maybe taken aback by? Because he is uh, he's had some. Do, you know there was the the famous one I'm, I'm thinking about. I remember writing about it, but I forget everything. Is um, I think Mark. I forgot the player. Maybe it was Embiid. And Mark said something like he's set up to be like a top 10 player or something. And Jeff just lost it on the air and said, how dare you? We're not going to do this. this, this you know, do you have any moments like that about Jeff that maybe uh, stick out? Oh, gosh, there's been so many. Like when I was on that team, I uh, the things I remember most are the things that make me laugh or or just give me happiness. You know, like sometimes when Mike laughs, it's like just this subtle little laugh. And it's something one of the two of them have said. Um, and so, you know, I, and it took my son saying this to me years ago. We were just watching a game and the announcers were having a good time. And he said, I don't think you understand, Mom, when you're having a good time, we're having a good time, too. 
And so they're just, their chemistry and their synergy is unique. I don't know that I have one, one particular moment. I thought the night Rihanna walked in front of this, the, the, the table was quite entertaining. <laughs> was very entertaining, thought he might yes. fall off his chair. Um, yeah. But no, you know, and I've said this so many times, like Jeff, um, he can deliver the basketball goods at the highest level. You can hear it that he's coached in the moments that matter the most. He's irreverent. And uh, I don't think being uncomfortable is a bad thing, right? It's uh, You see this to me with Jay Billis in the college game. Um, their voices resonate. People pay attention to what they say. Yeah. There's an authority there or uh, uh, an ability to make change because I think people know they're being honest. And you may not agree with their critiques all the time, but their job is to offer opinion and then to deliver the basketball goods when it's required. And I think that's what makes that trio of guys so special is that for over a decade now, they have delivered at the highest level possible. Um, and that's, that's special. Excellence is hard to achieve. And that trio has sustained excellence, and that should be admired. And it was Van Gundy leaving that sent the Knicks into the toilet for 20 years as well. <laughs> Just want to say that as a Knicks yeah, fan. Yeah. Um, a couple of things on the NBA playoffs here. You know, then I had Ryan Rossillo on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. And he's a big NBA guy. And I said to him, and I'll ask you because I, I, I'd love your take on this. The Nets win the NBA title. Mm -hmm. Okay. W what's... What's the joy? What's the pleasure? What's the excitement? What I mean, it was, you know, three players thrown together, superstars. And I'm not against super teams. Yeah. But this one felt a little different to me. I don't know why. I can't really sort of explain it. But this one here, like, you know, when you see a team in any sport win a title, you're happy for this guy. You're happy for that guy, maybe. There's a storyline that maybe plays out. This here was like, okay, we're going to get these three guys. We're going to, there's no connection to Brooklyn. There's no connection to the fans. Kyrie already has won a title. Duran has won a title. So, you know, in a month from now or two months from now, when it's all over, if the Nets are standing there as the champions, as an NBA fan, what is sort of like, what do you get out of that? Well, first of all, I'm not, I'm not going to presume that, right? Because standing in front of them is a Milwaukee team that changed both its personnel and its style and has some strengths where the Brooklyn Nets have weakness. And so I'm not presuming anything. If they go and win this championship, they will have earned it. Winning an NBA championship is really, really hard. And it's funny because, you know, over the years I've listened to, you know, Jeff, I think is the one who said this, but perhaps Mark. But, you know, they've talked about sometimes it requires some measure of luck. You've got to avoid injuries at at the appropriate times. Right. Um, sometimes maybe somebody else from the other team gets injured for a game that changes momentum. There's so much that will go into this. So I, um, you know, if you're, you think it's a stupid point by me, you could say, it. I don't think it's a stupid <laughs> point. I just think they will have earned it. And right. I think well, they had a big time it, challenge in front of them with the Milwaukee bucks. Like this that, is why they acquired drew holiday. Right now. Here's my, here's my follow up for that though. Okay. Let's say that again, hypothetical, the Nets win it. Yeah. Did they just prove then that the regular season is completely useless and meaningless? And I mean it by this way yeah. Kyrie, Durant, and Harden played nine games together in the regular right. season. Right. Nine. And then they go, they just totally bamboozled the Celtics. Now they get, you know, that 
if they win it all, which, it, you know, they very well could and should based on the talent. Yeah. It's basically saying take the regular season off if you have to. Listen, Jimmy, I, I think you've seen enough signs from the NBA that they are monitoring how their fans are watching NBA basketball. Uh, and, and one of the things I admire most about the NBA is how proactive they are. As any professional sports league should be, they are in a constant mode of self-evaluation. What is working for us and what is not? So years ago, they tweaked the rules uh, to elevate scoring. And you, you might have those hardcore fans who say, you know, that's ridiculous. This isn't basketball. And, you know, maybe, and Steve Kerr said this, and this is a while back, maybe six months, maybe even last year, but he said, you know, Maybe we have tilted the, the rules too much on the offensive end. And so, you know, I don't think anything is static. I don't think the play-in tournament in its current format is static. Uh, I bet you there are some concerns about, you know, what are the ratings through quarters one, two, and three of an NBA game? Uh, you know, juxtapose that next to ratings regular season versus post. Um, I think if they win it and have had only nine games – you know, there are other examples historically, and I have this written in notes, but I don't have it in front of me. There are other examples historically of teams that have won championships with minimal regular season games. Mm. And, uh, you know, Shaq, Kobe, and Derek Fisher, different circumstance. I get it. Not thrown together, et cetera, et cetera. But nonetheless, limited regular season. So, you know, yeah, listen, I don't think there's a professional sports league in the country that doesn't have concerns um, about viewership and long-term viability and where do we go next? And and so, you know, I don't well, know. Well, there's one that does I watch so much <laughs> NBA basketball. They don't have to right. worry about me. <laughs> I don't think the NFL has one worry. No, that's the true. You're they right. have not one worry, the NFL. That's true. It just basically, you know. That's very just, true. That's very true. Got a Brings truck from the networks. And, <laughs> um, the, let me ask you this. I, I feel like it hasn't been talked enough talked about enough or maybe i'm just not paying attention and it has been um but you know this they had such a they didn't really have an off season from the bubble to starting the season because everything was obviously thrown out of whack because right. of covid right um do you i mean do you think that's having an effect on the lakers now and on lebron i mean they they obviously won the finals last year so they had to go deep mm -hmm. very quick off season any lingering effect you think you think it's not a factor well i mean look at the guy who, who people consider to have top five skills on both ends of the floor and that's anthony davis and listen his injury histories you know is what it is um and maybe it's because he's you know a big man at the size and skill level he is uh but you know the soreness in the achilles the the now groin issue uh listen i i don't know and i think the league has some information regarding you know, we, we haven't had more soft muscle injuries this year relative to last, or if it is, it's negligible or whatever the case may be. Here's what I know unequivocally. That when we sat down uh, with coaches and players via Zoom, obviously all year long, what I would tell you is, and we discussed this as announced teams, is you could feel the weight of the way these players and coaches had to do this season. It was hard. It was mm -hmm. mentally hard and it was physically hard. And will that play a part ultimately in who wins the championship? Who knows? I don't know that that's quantifiable, but I would say that yeah. the people going through it can tell some stories and you can feel the weight of that. Now, they are the ones who made the decision, right? There were financial implications and they thus chose to do it this way. Uh, but certainly, 
certainly you can feel what this season felt like from them and you can you can hear it and read it in their comments um i'm gonna switch gears before we wrap up but you mentioned social media earlier do you do you actually check it because i i always i'm always surprised when anyone who's yeah. Does play-by-play or color checks their social media? Yeah, yeah, like yeah. We're all. I, well, I, mean, I can't speak for everybody. I'm on. I'm on Twitter. Um, I try not to necessarily look. I have seen some really hysterical things, some mean-spirited things over the years. I, as I've said a million times, I'm glad social media wasn't around when I was a younger announcer because I couldn't have taken it. Um, you know, somebody recently said. Uh, Something like some. Sometimes Doris looks seventy, and sometimes she looks forty. And I thought, is that person related to me? Because that's exactly how I feel. Um, so do I check it? Uh, I'm aware of it. Yeah, I was, yeah, I'm not like scrolling through, reading every single thing um, for sure. Because it good, it'd be vicious. <laughs> but, you know, I was I was looking at your. I follow you, and I was looking. At, you're not afraid to though. You know, throw an opinion out there that has you know nothing to do with the NBA, which I which I love and I like to see. It's very rare to be honest with you. I mean, social media for me, for the most part is like, it's news. You know, I'm like everybody else. I'm, I'm waiting for, for Woj to, to tweet out what happened with Hmm. the Celtics. And, um, and I'll be honest, like uh, the one great advantage of it. And with society, there's everything that's good and bad. The one great advantage is I've read a million articles. I would have never read had I not had social media and these reporters don't link their stories and I mean right. from a sports perspective, but also from a broader societal perspective yeah. as well. So, yeah. <laughs> but you, I, I like that, you know, you're not afraid to get out there and, you know, throw something out there that people may not like. That's, yeah. that's key. Can't please everybody. So No, you definitely can't. I, I would say, obviously, for all of us, you know, the one thing we want maybe is to be thought competent at our jobs. And it's, it's, it's a much better feeling to be liked than disliked. Everybody knows that. And, um, but nobody's liked on social media. That's, no, the no, that, that's the problem. It's not a friendly place. Yeah. No. Yeah. Um, <laughs> during the season, especially now with the playoffs going on, do you get any downtime for yourself? Like, can you binge something on Netflix? Can you read a book or is it just constant NBA 24 seven? Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm a binge watcher when the season is over. Uh, right. I can fit in some things. Uh, you know, I, I watched that documentary on the sea. Uh, I'm going to blank on it. It's on Netflix. It was exceptional. I mean, absolutely exceptional. I did right. feast on Bridgerton over the winter. Sometimes there is nights, uh, you know, if I'm not working, I'm usually watching one East coast, one West coast. Right. And, uh, but there's nights where I'm just like, I, I can't watch anymore. I, I can't. Right, 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 so right. Sort of how I got into Bridgerton. Yeah. And then that would lead to very late nights. I might as well have been watching the West Coast game. <laughs> I couldn't turn yeah, like, it off. Yeah. I would imagine during, like, you know, the big show the last couple of weeks everyone got into was Mayor of Easttown on HBO. But well, my I'm daughter if you, told me. I haven't seen yeah. it yet, but my daughter told me about it. Yeah. It's not an easy, like, that's not something you'd want to watch. Like, when the your game is over, you go back to the hotel and you want to unwind. That's not what you should watch. Just yeah. so you know, it's yeah. that you got to like pay attention to every little split second of that. So it's, yeah. Yeah. it's a little more difficult. Um, do you have a favorite arena to be in for a game? Well, I mean, you know, and I think TNT made this point last night, just, just how good Madison square garden is. I've said for years and people probably disagree. And remember I'm shaded because of where I grew up, New York, New Jersey. Yeah. Um, 
I just think when the Knicks are good, uh, it makes a difference in the NBA. And I could be crazy, um, but that place is really, really special. You know, Golden State, I, in that run, I mean, it was loud. It was so, so, so loud. Los Angeles Lakers are a lot of fun. You know, you can feel the energy, especially when they're good and the stars are out. That's a fun place. Um, Do you ever get, do you ever, I mean, obviously this would have to be pre-COVID, but do you have any stories about you're at Staples doing a Lakers game and one of the celebs is trying to talk to you or meet you? um, I mean, we know you have a thing with Drake, but but I'm talking about someone, but you know. No. Does Jack say like, hey, Doris, how's it going? No, but no, I've always wanted to say to Jack, he and I share the same high school. Jack went to Manasquan High School on the Jersey Shore. And I've never had that opportunity to to say it because, you know, it's funny um, when Los Angeles last won their titles, um, you know, I was relatively new to the sideline position. So I I didn't have time, nor did I have the confidence to be going up to the Jack Yeah. (laughs) at that moment but yeah i've always wanted to say hey we're both men swan warriors here <laughs> that would lead to a good conversation I'm sure. yeah. <laughs> um last thing i'm just curious because you talk about doing sideline give me when when you did sidelines and now doing the color for the game yeah what is the most difficult thing about each uh, the sideline is probably, um, and it's funny, I, I called the first time I did sidelines a while ago, I didn't, I, ne- I didn't have any experience. And I called two people, I called Al Troutwig, and I called Michelle Tafoya, and both were extremely helpful. And I'll never forget what Al Troutwig said to me, Jimmy. He said, Doris, there, there are going to be nights where you get off the air as a sideline reporter, and you're going to feel really good about what you did, that you helped elevate the experience for the, the viewer. Um, and you're going to feel like you participated and it was great because there's going to be far more nights where you get off the air and you think to myself, Oh my God, they just paid me to do that. Hmm. Cause you know, you prepare the same way as the, the analyst in the play by play. But the fact of the matter is the game dictates whether or not you get into the show, or sometimes it may be the producer philosophically, he believes in the role. Maybe he does who knows? There's a million things that may contribute to what your input is as a sideline reporter. So you have to be prepared to leave a lot of stories uh, in your pocket. The analyst role, um, um, you know, for me, especially when I started, there was some anxiety covering men's college and the NBA. And again, I played and coached women's college basketball. And I knew when I started, there would be some objections to my presence as it relates to, you know, people saying, well, she's never played or coached at this level. What's she doing there? So I, I remember having a lot of anxiety and, and it took me years to settle in, to just settle in and allow myself to have fun and say, some people are going to like your style and others aren't. And there's really, really not much you can control about that. So just, you know, you love this and- game. So just, it's okay to like, enjoy it and have fun. And it, it took me a long time to learn that. How did that turn out? Did you feel like the rejection from, I guess, men who didn't want you in that industry? Did, was it worse than you expected? What you expected? Not as bad as you expected? Listen, ask any woman in the business. Well, I, I, I don't want to cut you off. I just, you know, I know this, you know, I, I'm a big Yankee fan and I interviewed Susan Waldman. I yeah. followed her career. You know, I mean, you know, she got spit on in locker rooms. Yeah. So, you yeah. know, I would hope by the time it was your turn to 
move up through the ranks. You aren't experiencing, obviously you're going to experience blowback, but hopefully it wasn't as bad as, you know, it got a little better over the years. And I've said this about women like Susie or Jackie McMullen, who was courtside. Um, You know, they carved a path and experienced things that I have not experienced. But let's not be naive here, right? Like there are both still subtle and overt objections to the presence of women. Sometimes you'd be surprised who that's from. I was going to say, do you feel it more from fans or players and coaches? Never, never from the players and coaches. I've always said they have been my soft landing spot. Um, Now, listen, I'm not naive to that either. There are particularly probably when I started and maybe still now. Um, But listen, every woman would tell you, you will feel it. I I could give you, I'm not going there, but um, I'm just going to tell you like, Subtle and overt. And all of us women, um, you know, the distaff side, we have our discussions about it. And, and what, you know, what I would say is, Jimmy, I've learned that you cannot allow somebody else's energy to affect yours. You just right. can't. Because if you do, then you're going to stop doing your job. And, and we, I am really lucky. And I, and I want the viewer who's watching the NBA to enjoy the games as much as I am. But yeah, I mean, listen, come on. We, we know where we are societally. Yeah. That's a bummer. You know, I mean, listen, I'm not naive. I, 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 I'm sure, you know, I would think the fans would be the harshest. I don't know, but I, I'm sure, you know, people in the business in terms of executives, or whatever, I'm sure that there's many a story there as well. Well, so. you know, I'll tell you one thing that's interesting and I, I really appreciated this. And again, this is going back a ways. Um, uh, when this might have been when Twitter first started and, you know, there was some blowback to me at that point. And, and I remember an executive at ESPN saying, listen, we're going to ignore that noise. We're going to ignore the noise of social media because we believe she's good at this. And uh, and I appreciate that. Right. You have to have people in a position of power. Absolutely. Who, who believe in you. That's the bottom line. You know, if ESPN doesn't afford me this opportunity years and years ago to start on men's college basketball, it just it doesn't happen. All right. Yeah, it's it's good that, you know, I I feel like that lesson needs to even be reinforced today to ignore the noise on social media when it comes to announcements and broadcasts. And elsewhere, not, yeah, and elsewhere. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. All right, well, I appreciate you coming on, and uh, you got it. You got, the ESPN has the West, right? The Western Conference Finals. They'll have the West. When it's conference finals, uh, by that point, I'll have moved to radio, and I don't yet know where I will be. so yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask you a question. You don't have to answer it, yeah. but I gotta throw it out there. Like, does everyone at ESPN, including yourself, at night you get down, you do a little. Please let LeBron get to the NBA Finals. Please let LeBron get to the NBA Finals. Listen, I mean, ESPN is in the business of ratings, right? But I have, right, of course, that's well, and entertainment, and it is, and it's true, right? Steph has already bowed out, and and we, you know, I'm sure there's concern at the executive level, but to me, the idea that an announcer cares, like. I, like Jimmy, I yeah, yeah. I get where no you're no going, I don't I don't I don't I don't want to imply that I think you care who wins I think as a company yeah. you want the Lakers and LeBron there for ratings storylines right. and right. excitement that's yeah all. for me like yeah. I, and I've always said this I a ratings point has never crossed my mind when I'm on the air and here's right. the fact like LeBron Jimmy LeBron is leaving at some point I know he and Tom Brady <laughs> continue to defy what are the bounds of a normal age at which retirement sets in. 
But the fact of the matter is he's going to leave at some point. And uh, we need, you know, the league needs other stars to start gaining some traction. So whenever that happens, it happens. And we're not in control of it. So who, you know, listen, the guy's been absolutely brilliant. You know, still is is a conversation piece. Look what happened last night when he walked out of the building uh, early. People went absolutely ballistic. It's a, you know, it's it's everywhere. It's on TV. It's on on social media. But at some point, he will retire. Yeah, they'll we'll lose a lot of fun when that happens. I have to say, it's been a fun ride with him. You know, I mean, oh my gosh, fun ride. I I appreciate it and uh, enjoy the rest of the playoffs. And thanks for coming on. You got it, Jimmy. Thanks for having me. All right. Take care. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. All right, joining me now, very happy and grateful he would come on during the season while he's got stuff going on. Giants third baseman, having a good year, Evan Longoria. Evan, how's it going? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. I had it. I've been dying to talk to a player about the unwritten rules fiasco that's been going on. And obviously, a couple of weeks ago, it all went crazy with the White Sox. And you're a great guy to have on about this. You're a veteran and been around the game for a while and respected. So, and before we get to that, you're having a you're having a nice little season here at 35 years old. You know, in baseball, that's like you know, 
You know, it's supposed to be having age. nine home runs, 29 RBIs. Pretty good. Uh, yeah, man. I, um, you know, I, I think a lot of the credit, um, uh, well, at least some of the credit, um, I'll take some of it, but you know, some of the credit goes to, uh, our hitting coaches, um, you know, the, the change in philosophy that we've had, um, you know, some of the, the conversations that, um, I've had with them and in terms of, you know, I, I think my, my exit, my average exit velocity was pretty good last year. It's just, I, I wasn't hit, hitting the ball in the air enough. And so, you know, it's, it's like easy to talk about, um, that, but, you know, some of the swing changes that I made in the off season and coming into this season, I think have, uh, have really helped that. And, you know, a lot of the credit goes to them on, on how to figure out how to do that. I, I still, you know, I watch Yankees every night. I still don't know anything about exit velocity. I don't, I think you have to be a baseball player to fully understand that if you're just a fan, I'm just like, um, I mean, I like, obviously it's, it just, you know, if you hit the ball hard, it, it, uh, it increases your odds on, on getting hit. So this is going to sound, comes into play. this is going to sound mean and I don't mean it to sound mean, but I'm just, so like on the Yankee games, for instance, they go crazy every game because of Giancarlo Stanton's exit velocity. Like he's in like the top, what, but he's hurt every day. So who cares what his exit velocity is? Like, I don't like, I'd rather you <laughs> yeah, play and have yeah. bad exit velocity. Like, yeah, you know. no, I, I, uh, you know, I hear you, but you know, you, you are a, uh, you are a Yankee fan. So, yeah. you know, sometimes I, I know it's tough for you guys to, to watch the games with, with your eyes open. So, uh, he does a lot of good things. Um, yeah. but yeah, I mean, it, obviously like if you have, you know, 10 at bats a month and, and you hit the ball hard in 10 at bats and you know, that, that, that's not going to really translate yeah. into, uh, into something all that positive, but, um, you know, the, uh, to the, to the point there's, there's a lot of benefit from, from hitting the ball hard. So right. maybe I'll get a lesson one day on it. Um, so this is what I, this is what confuses me as a fan about the unwritten rule stuff and specifically what happened. I'm hoping you can maybe I don't know, you know how open you can be, but so when the thing happened where, you know, Mercedes swings 3-0 and hits the home run and then Larusa yep. basically his own manager comes out and was pissed and you know said, you know, rookie and he shouldn't be doing this and the rules and this and this and all this stuff. I noticed on Twitter a lot of players coming to Mercedes' defense and backing him up and be you and, you know. But then the Twins the next night still throw at him. And then, of course, and then LaRusso backs him up. So, like, in ter- I'm just curious in terms of the players. Can you break it down almost in terms of, like, a percentage? Like, is it an age thing where the older players maybe don't like what he did and the younger guys see that we need to grow the game and maybe something like that is good. Like where, where are the play? Is it really that divided among the players about the unwritten rules and celebrations and swinging three out? Um, I mean, look, that, that particular instance, um, and, and I'm, I'm, you know, taking that in, in a bubble. I think, and I think a lot of the players think, obviously Tony LaRusso doesn't think this, but you know, I think a lot of the players think that when a position player gets in the game to pitch, that all of the rules go out the window. Um, you know, I, that that's, you know, you can say that's my personal opinion. I think a lot of guys, a lot of guys that I've talked to feel like it's, it's the same thing. Um, you know, my, my argument to that is like, what's the difference between 00, you know, 102021? Like the guy, the guy's not trying, he's lobbing the ball in there. He's not trying to get like 
he's trying to get you out, but he's not trying to get you out. You know right. what I mean? Like he's, yeah. he's throwing one pitch, lobbing it in there, you know? So what's, what's, what's the difference if, um, you know, essentially the same pitch is coming every time. So I, I don't, um, in that particular situation, understand, um, you know, kind of the, the uproar. Like I, I was having a conversation. I, I won't bring his name into it, but you know, one of my teammates about it yesterday and, uh, in this particular situation. And he's like, if that's the case, then when you get to 2-0, you should just throw a ball to get to 3-0 so you know that you're going to get a free strike. You know, because if it's, right. if you're not allowed to swing 3-0, then at least you get to 3-1 there, you know? Right. So it's, well, and, it's kind of a, it's just a weird deal. Yeah, and, and if and then the other side of that too is if, if the goal is to like just get the game over with as soon as possible, then... The hitters in that case should be swinging at every pitch, whether they're in the strike zone or not. Like, why take pitches yeah. at that point? Just get the game over with, and maybe you, you know, you could hit a ground ball, or you know. Um, yeah. Where do you stand? Let's say you're on, D, you know, you're playing third base, and Fernando Tatis of the Padres hits a 480 foot bomb off one of your guys, and decides to flip the bat, stare at it, take about you know five minutes rolling the bases. Are you pissed or do you not care? I mean, I'm not pissed anymore. You know, that's that's just uh, the way of the game. And, you know, if you want to talk about unwritten rules, like, and you want to be pissed off about something that Yerman Mercedes has done this year, if you want to, if you want to target him specifically, take his first big league home run. The guy's a rookie, never been in the big leagues. It's a home run and he bat flips pimps it walks around you know what i mean like that should be if you're talking about unwritten rules you should be more pissed off about that me particularly i don't care do whatever right. you want you know right. I, I think that that's obviously what the you know the young like if we're trying to grow the game the younger generation they enjoy that you know that right. that's that's um you know what what you see nowadays um and and you know i've grown to not care about it you know i i think that that's if we're trying to grow it that's what needs to happen younger fans enjoy that you know it, it's it's a part of the game now um but you know a 3-0 swing should be the last thing that anybody's worried about you know right. i i don't care anymore if anybody you know pimps a home run or whatever i think that there should be a bit of an understanding on like timing of it you know, like the bigger the situation, the bigger the pimp job, you know, kind of thing. Right, right, But it's right. like if you're down eight to one in the eighth inning, you know, and you hit a home run, like do you really need to like style on it that hard. Like there should be like a little bit of an awareness there of like the game situation. Right. But again, That's... you know, I, I know how hard it is to hit a home run. And I know that like, um, you know, some people want to enjoy it. Yeah. No, that, that, that makes total sense. And, you know, again, the situation, if, if you're playing a team, if you're, if the Giants are up 8-1 and a guy on another team hits a home run and he starts styling, I mean, all you have to do is just point to the scoreboard and that, that, that embarrasses the guy right there, basically. I've never understood. Uh, maybe. Yeah. I've never understood the throw at a guy is retaliation thing. Like, yeah. what does that accomplish at the end of the day? Like, do you, so he hits that home run, the twins throw it him the next day. Does, yeah. Now you think that guy's never going to celebrate a home run ever again? I mean, he never, he actually, that's a bad example because he wasn't in trouble for celebrating. It was because he swung three Oh, but I don't, do you think throwing at a guy who celebrates and pimps a home run ever stops a guy from doing it again? No, I don't. I so mean, like, what's I, the I, point exactly? 
I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm, I'm not, you know, I, I had a conversation with Don Zimmer when, when he was still around and I was, you know, lucky enough to have like a few years with him, with the Rays and um, more than a few years, but you know, his, I, we talked about this quite often and his big thing was when he was a manager, he would never tell a pitcher to throw at a hitter because he didn't want to feel responsible for, you know, potentially ending a guy's career or potentially causing like serious harm to another player. And so I think that that, you know, should be the point is like, is there really, you know, anything that's that egregious to where you're like, I'm going to throw this ball as hard as I can and like try and hurt this guy, right, you know, because right. essentially that's what you're doing, right? Like, right. you're not, yeah, you're not like, it's not sending a message. Like you're just trying to hurt it, you know? Right. Right. That's... And, um, so I think that that's, you know, I think that the game's going in a different way for sure. Like there, you know, there may be moments where like, and I think we've seen it this year, right. Where like, you know, multiple guys have been hit in the face already. Like, um, you know, th- there's been probably, you know, Brandon Crawford and I've had this conversation this year. It's like, you know, he, he, you always hear like back in the old days, a guy pimps a home run, like, you know, if that would have happened then, like we would have just, you know, thrown at him or brushed him back or whatever. Like if you look at statistically speaking, if you look at and, and Craw did the statistics, I didn't do it. But, mm-hmm. you know, he, he told me basically that like there's like more hit batters to this point in the season than there, than there was like in all of the 1978 season, whatever, like right. just using an example. But like yeah, basically yeah. hit batters are through the roof and probably none of them are on purpose. Right. Like. The, just right. like the feel of you know and you kind of hear like old timers say like oh if that was a thing like i'd have just thrown it right into his back but like statistically speaking like that wasn't true right like there was like way less hit batters back then than there are now and it's yeah. like not even on purpose so right. um you know like the whole like hit batter thing on purpose um i don't think needs to be a thing anymore so you you said that if an opponent hits a home run and 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 uh styles and profiles you don't get offended anymore and um you know you you you're over all that stuff which i like hearing is there anything is there any sort of unwritten rule or anything an opponent can do that would piss you off like what would you consider like all right now you cross the line uh i mean i i don't i don't know like you know there there's there's some situations that i think that like there there should be and understanding that it's just like maybe not the right thing to do. Like, um, you know, we're talking about it last night, like in it's an eight to one game in the eighth inning in our game. Um, you got, uh, I don't know, let's just say Jared Walsh, you know, Jared Walsh is, is hitting big, big left-handed full hitter. Everybody shifted over, you know, and let's just say for, for sake of the argument, you know, Jared Walsh is hitting, you know, two ten. Like he's not, he's, he's raking, but you know, like whatever, let's just say he's hitting two ten, and the guy wants to get a base hit. They're up eight to one in the eighth. Like who's to say that like, he can like drag bunt and try and get on, you know, right. like we're all, everybody's playing for money, a contract, you know, like whatever to stay in the big leagues, like, you know, give any example you want. The unwritten rules say that that's, you know, you shouldn't do that. Right. Like that's just like not something you do. Now I could, I probably agree in that situation, but like on the flip side of it is like, if we don't want to give them a base hit, then why should we be allowed to shift? Right. Like right. you're, you're giving up half of the field and maybe that's the easiest way for him to get on and, and, you know, raise his average, whatever. 
So, you know, I think that there are certain situations that like I would kind of shake my head at like like that. But at mm-hmm. the same time, you kind of look at it like objectively and it's like, man, maybe this is the only way that this guy can get on and get a base hit and potentially stay in the big leagues. So well, that's the other thing that it, it, it even ties into the Mercedes things. I mean, if you guys are all going to have incentives in your contract, then how do you tell a hitter to stop hitting? At any point exactly. in the game. You know, I don't know. I mean, this Do guy's you, a rookie. Mercedes is a rookie. Like, he's obviously trying to, you know, make an impact in the right, big league. Right, yeah. You know. Yeah. So, yeah. Do yeah, you... I, I mean... I would... This is a stupid question, but I, I would assume if you're a player who has incentives. Do you, do you have incentives in your contract? I don't know. I don't think so. Because <laughs> I was going to... I was going to ask if, you know, if you haven't... Like, you know, if you get X amount of money, if you hit X amount of home runs, I would, ima- right. I would imagine every player would know that off the top of their head. I mean, I've been under my contract for so long that, like, I don't even remember if there's any incentives in the, you know, I got two years left. So this is two years of a six-year deal. So, uh, I I mean, I think that there's probably some incentives as far as, like, you know, all-star games, MVPs, like, like bigger, um, you know, uh, macro things. But but I don't think that there's any, like, uh, games played or, you know, home runs or appearances, whatever it is. Like, uh, at-bats, I don't think there's anything like that. Um, so now have you ever, have you ever been in a fight in a baseball game? Uh, I've never thrown a punch. I've been involved in some fights. Have you ever charged the mound? No, I've never been ejected. You've never been ejected ever? No, I've never been ejected from a game. You got to do that. Minors or majors. Really? So polite. Uh, Yeah. I mean, at some point, I guess. Is it next year? Does. If you. Like if you argue with an ump and you drop the F word, is that like an automatic ejection or will some umpires let you like, can you be like, what, what kind of fucking call was that? Or will they not even allow that? No, you know, they, no, I, I, I think the F word, like any, any curse word I think is like pretty acceptable until it's directed at them. So you know, you like say, until right. you say, you know, Tim, you're a effing asshole, you know, whatever. Right. Like if you direct it at them, like it's a personal attack, then you're probably going to get thrown out. Like right, right. if you, you know, use any of those words and say, you know, that, that something about the pitch or like, you know, that's a, that's a mistake or whatever. Like you, you pr- you're pretty much, especially if you're not yelling it directly in their eyes, you know, if you're like kind of just like looking around and saying that that's like, you know, the most yeah, yeah. brutal call you've ever seen, whatever, like then, then you probably <laughs> um, are good. Do you have a, like, what do you say when you don't like a strike call? Do you have like a, a go-to or you just, you mix it up or is there a, like, are you just like. Nah, yeah, it's, it's kind of in the moment. I think like I've probably yeah. gotten the most upset this year that I have um, just because I feel like we're seeing it a little more often. And, and I think sometimes it's in blowout games, um, you know, where um, the moment is, you know, there, it's not as big of a moment. There's kind of a lap, a, a lapse in concentration and, and, um, and so, um, yeah, I mean, per- personally, like I, I'm not a big, like personal attacker, you know, I, I'm just going to say that, that, you know, it's a bad call or, you know, that, that, that's, uh, I, I, my personal go-to, I think is like just telling them like that it's outside or inside or low. Like when I know for sure, like, I'll just tell them like flat out, like that ball is outside, you know, like it's right. not even close. Um, and then go back to the dugout and hope I'm right. <laughs> but uh, you know, I feel like most of the time you feel like you're you're right when you're when you're arguing um, that. All right now, obviously, 
you're going to be a little biased here because you're a hitter. But now we've got this whole thing with the pitchers scuffing the ball and using illegal substances, foreign substances, right. whatever you want to call it. Um, do you think it's being done more now than ever? Do you think people are just talking about it and it's always been done sort of the same amount? Um, I think I, I think it's being done the same amount, but I think what the big issue is is the substances that are being used are better. You know, right, break like this they're, down. They're, for, break, yeah, this is what I'm curious about. Break this down for me and the yeah, listeners. Yeah, so I, I, I think, and I, listen, I'm not a pitcher. Like you said, I haven't dug into exactly what's being used, but um, I mean, I can tell you that, like, if you look at the numbers, like the spin rates are higher than they've ever been. Right. Um, no know, one's hitting this making, yeah. Guys making jumps from, you know, I think it's probably physically possible to like you know, make a a hundred or 200 RPM jump, you know, based on like maybe mechanics or like, you know, figuring out how to hold the ball differently or a good pitching coach or whatever. But like some of the jumps that we're seeing in spin rate um, are like through the roof, you know, guys just, and, and, you know, the, I think the, the scientific analysis of it or like the, um, you know, the, the, the reason why it becomes, incrementally more difficult to hit guys when they spin the ball is because everything looks like a fastball right when it's spinning the same it every pitch looks the same so like if you can throw a fastball at at you know 2800 rpms and a breaking ball at 2800 rpms like you know traditionally speaking like the fastball will be a little higher or maybe the breaking ball will be a little higher and and you can kind of differentiate between the two like based on the way that the seams are spinning but once they get to a certain point where they're spinning so fast you can't tell the difference and that's i think where we're at with these substances that guys are using now it's like it's super tacky and they're able to just rip the ball as as hard as they want so what are they Um, using now that they didn't use in the past to do you know know, you'll have to ask a pitcher i mean the one that i hear all the time is the spider tack stuff I, i don't know what it is but it's it's basically a clear substance that's like super sticky um, you know, and then I think in the past it was probably pine tar, rosin, rosin, sunscreen, um, you know, spit, whatever it is, like guys were, um, using. And now I think that there, there's, there's stuff that guys are using that's, you know, what, what would, what would, the roof. what would irk you more finding out that a pitcher is using spider clear sticky stuff or like the Astros banging on the trash cans to steal the signs? Like what's more egregious? Um, I mean, the Astros banging is, is more egregious because I feel like there's more people do, or there's less people doing it. Right. Like there, there's a, there's a lot of, I mean, I think every pitcher is using something, you know, right. without a doubt. Um, and that's but, why, that's why the, the, I think that's why the substance stuff is so, um, not talked about and under the rug because if one yeah, player sure. calls out a pitcher for using the substances, there's pitchers on his team using the substances. So you're going to yeah. burn yourself in the law. You know, you got to keep that quiet because you just said yeah. everyone's doing it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think that, that, you know, the, the, the Mike Schilt thing, you know, when he got ejected, uh, when Joe West made his, his pitcher, you know, change his hat, yeah. you know, his, his post game interview was, was pretty poignant. And, and I think telling on, on like where a lot of people stand, you know, he's like, he basically said like, you know, I'm probably ostracizing some of my own players here too by saying it, but like we, he had that conversation with them and like, you know, the guys have to be okay with the fact that like, you know, obviously it's, it's not legal. Like some of the substances that are being used are not like approved. Um, and 
you know, that's, I guess that he was saying that's a risk that he's willing to take, right? Like with his own guys, like we'll figure out how to pitch like with, without it or whatever. Um, but like to go back to the, to the, um, point that, you know, Craw was making on control, like, you know, kind of, I think pitchers want to use the argument of like, oh, it's like, it's giving me more control. Like the stick, like allows me to like feel where the ball's going. Well, the hit batters are through the roof this year, right. you know? Right. So are we really, is it really helping with control or is it exactly. just helping you spin the shit out of the ball and like, right. you know, strike guys out. Right. So you know. I w- <laughs> the only thing I don't like about the, like, I remember, I don't know. I remember, I'll never forget as a Yankee fan, as a kid, when, um, the Yankees were playing the Angels. This was, I mean, this probably was mid '80s. That's how long ago it was. But they had Joe Necro on the team, and he got caught. And they made him yeah, empty his pockets paper. on the mound, and the sandpaper <laughs> just comes flying out of his. Like we need one of those moments. Like sticky stuff is yeah. clear. Sticky stuff is boring. We need like something flying out of someone's pocket like that. That's a great. That was yeah. a great one. That was. I mean, stuff. yeah, it's it's tough, right? Because like it's you know I I I've only I only experienced this one time. And it, it it happened when I was in Tampa. Um, Joel Peralta, one of our pitchers, he had come he had come from Washington. They knew that he used sticky stuff, which probably essentially every guy has done. He comes out of the dugout, and the manager of the Nationals from the year before walks out to the umpire as he's jogging in from the bullpen and says, "Go check his glove." I mean, of course, everybody knows, like, he goes out there, like, they check his glove. Like, I, I think Joel actually put, just had it, like, on his hand. Like, his, it was just, like, his hand was covered. And, you know, he gets thrown out of the game. They suspend him. He gets suspended for 10 days, I think. They, like, he appealed and got it taken down to seven. Um, but, like, you know, if that's, the thing, if that's, like, if managers wanted to do that, they could do it with every pitcher. And, and right now, probably – you know get right a good majority of guys for something um and so you know i'm not saying that that's something that needs to be done i'm just saying like you know if if you wanted to like you could you could definitely like go out there and just like try and find guys that are using it and it would be a witch hunt you know And, and i'm sure that like you know obviously the game would adjust i don't know how but like you know um I, I don't think that that's what major league baseball wants. You know, I don't, right. I don't think that that's what the players want. You know, I, I, I think it's, um, it, it would become kind of, uh, you know, like a black eye, like yeah. it would just be a bad look, you know, yeah, every, sure. every time somebody goes out there, like the umpire goes and checks and then you got guys get thrown out left and right or, you know, whatever it is like that's that's not what the game wants. So, um, I think that, you know, we need to find, um, you know, some in between ground on, on that. And, um, you know, if it's truly for control, then yeah, let's find some sort of substance that, you know, allows you to, uh, you know, have a good feel for the baseball and, um, and not spin it, you know, 3,100, 3,200 RPM. So, so the batters can't, uh, can't see what's coming. Well, I appreciate you shedding light on, on this. Cause I've, I've wanted to hear from a player about this, um, since all that stuff happened. So I, I, uh, I like the insight before I let you go though, I got to ask, cause I follow you on Instagram, obviously, and you've gotten into the trading card craze pretty hardcore yeah. here. Um, you're, you're, you you like to do the unboxing, right? Is that what it's called? Unboxing. Yeah. Uh, but you know, I've been buying. Uh, I've been buying like individual cards too. I'm, I'm hoping that my son gets into it. Um, you know, with me at some point. Uh, we started at the beginning of the pandemic with um, 
getting back into Pokemon cards. Um, I collected them when I was, you know, 10, 10 years old, probably 11 years old. And, um, and then I, you know, hadn't thought about them for years and years. And then we started getting back into it at the beginning and my son was real into that. So that yeah, kind of sparked it, it. It went crazy over the, uh, over the, uh, pandemic. If yeah. I had, I had Darren Rovell on the podcast who he like sort of broke it down for me. Cause I saw it getting crazy and I was going through my stuff. Supposedly I have good stuff. I didn't even know, but you got to get it graded and now you can't get it graded. Yeah. The company's too busy. So I don't know what to do with it. Um, yeah. Do you know how much the most expensive Evan Longoria card is? Um, well, and do you I, have it? My, uh, no, I mean, I just, I actually just bought, like, I've been driving my price up on eBay. So people that are bidding on my cards on eBay, it's probably, it's probably because, uh, that's I'm, tremendous. I've been trying to win them. I've been trying to, you know, buy my own cards back. Um, no, there's probably some out there that are worth, you know, over 200 bucks. Like nothing, nothing super crazy. I, I haven't seen. And again, you know, like there may be, there's probably collectors that, you know, collect my stuff that have like the super rare ones that they're not selling. And I haven't seen on eBay. Um, but I, I just bought a couple of them for like around 130 bucks, like some rookie cards that were signed uh, back then. And they're already graded. So um i guess i'm i'm happy that they're not super expensive so i can you know buy them back right now at a, at a reasonable and you price re you really go on ebay and drive up the price well I'm, I'm not trying to drive up the price i'm trying to win it you know so right. um you know if somebody else is trying to win it obviously the price gets driven up so tell me i mean listen obviously the money is not why you're doing this what what is it about this that you love what's what's exciting about it for you um i i think it's it's i think it's um you know, I got, I got into it, um, just following these two kids out of LA. Um, they started, uh, an Instagram live and Instagram on their, like, basically their savings, these two kids, like it's called picks and polls. And they, um, I just started watching them. Somehow I stumbled across them. And, and for me, it's like a little bit of like the nostalgia of opening the pack of cards, like seeing what you get, you know, and a little bit of it is, um, I think like a gambler's mentality, you know, because like the cards have gotten so expensive, but yeah. at the same time, they've, you know, the values are through the roof, right? So like you can open this box that costs, you know, 500 bucks, but you could potentially get a card out of it. That's like a $20,000 card, you know? So it's like scratching a lotto ticket, you know? Right, and right, so right. I think that, aspect of it has kind of like excited me you know and also it's like a it's a fun community to kind of be a part of right like there's so many people that have jumped on this that like you know at times we'll have two three hundred people in there and like somebody's opening a box and like everybody's excited for this guy that's you know gets a big card or whatever and so the hobby has definitely grown to the point where like it's appealing <clears throat> to you know a, a, a large swath of people yeah I like the people who try to say like it's not a gambling thing when you know they're spending like hundreds on oh, boxes. It, it, it one hundred percent is, you know, yeah. and and uh, I think that there's definitely an investment aspect of it too. But like the gamble is obviously spending you know two thousand dollars on a box and you may potentially get nothing. Right. So yeah, that would not that yeah that's bad. <laughs> I've done that. It hurts. It hurts. <laughs> uh, yeah, that would hurt. Uh, what's What's your best card before I let you go? Um, I've got a couple of nice Fernando Tatis Jr. rookie cards. Um, so it's all the new the, stuff. The, the old stuff isn't as good as the new stuff. Like I have Nolan Ryan cards. I have yeah. you know Ricky um, Henderson again, and all that. Like they, it's in in the old stuff. It's about condition, 
right, so right. like if you've got a you know if you've got a you know nolan ryan ricky card or whatever that's like in perfect condition and it's graded then not the value of that's going to be probably pretty high but like the newer stuff because it's they do a lot of numbered they do a lot of low numbered stuff they do a lot of autographs now they do you know um they put a lot of money into the product now so i think that the values like reflect that um but yeah i mean still the older stuff it's just i think that the hobby is is a is a is a newer one there's more younger people into it so they don't identify with you know the the older stuff the reggie jacksons the you know the the old you know all the older generation players i mean even like the players now that i think are kids are probably still most excited about her obviously like ken griffey jr um you know Derek jeter like you know and that's not even an old guy but but those you know that's kind of the era that people are still excited about once you get beyond that um you know it becomes a little bit tough to explain who um you know nolan ryan or you know even right. randy johnson was right um but it's 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 fun man it's fun to see like um, for me, like to, you know, being 2008, my rookie year, like opening boxes from like the years, you know, eight to like, I just opened a 2014 box to see like some of the players that were, um, you know, playing then it's just, it's just nostalgic. Yeah. Yeah. And I, that's, I could see that being a good bonding thing with your son that, that you know, cool oh, thing for to sure, do. Yeah. father and son. Yeah. And I know you got another one coming soon. So good luck with that. Yeah. We growing. need the luck. Yeah. Uh, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. I see you guys on Instagram. You guys got a little good little family thing going there. You'll be yeah. fine. You guys do nah, good they, stuff there. They're beautiful. All right, well, I appreciate you coming on, and uh, especially you know middle of season. I and uh, I want to see you get ejected before you retire. That's what I'm going to be looking for. Maybe next year I'll uh, right. I'll, I'll, I'll make a point of it. Go out with a bang. All right, thanks, man. <laughs> appreciate it. All right, thank you. Take it easy, guys. All right. All right, my thanks to Doris Burke and Evan Longoria for coming on the pod this week. If you missed any previous episodes of the SI Media Podcast, we've had some great guests and great episodes over the last month. Peter Schrager from NFL Network and Daniel Rappaport from Golf Digest last week. Uh, Daniel talking about the Kepka dechambeau feud, which was good stuff. Two weeks ago, Andrew Martian from the New York Post, Bill Carter from CNN on uh, the history of late night television. With a lot of people got great feedback on that on Twitter. A lot of people like that pod. Uh, three weeks ago, Rich Eisen and Allen. Something all four weeks ago, Ryan Rosillo, Brian Baumgartner. Check those out. Subscribe. And if you can rate and review, appreciate that as well. All right. We'll see you next week right here on the SI Media Podcast. Stay safe and take care. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, 
Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast.